This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. going on Knicks fans welcome to another episode of cap rules everything around me cream get the money dollar dollar bills y'all I am Jeremy Cohen it has been an eventful offseason for a lot of teams it's been sort of quiet I mean some movement for the Knicks as well obviously nothing happening on draft night and then the kind of presumed moves of Obi Toppin and Dante DiVincenzo Toppin out uh DiVincenzo in, got some margin moves that are happening. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have, we'll talk about a lot of different things in a few moments. But the one big thing that I'd have to say is, yes, it does feel like the Knicks need to make some sort of move, so to speak, in terms of something feels a little misshapen. It doesn't feel as cohesive as in years past. With that said, the Knicks don't have to go into the season fully locked and loaded at every single spot. Um, They made a huge upgrade at the deadline with Josh Hart. That was a sorely missed piece. And yet last year around this time, it was all right. Well, the Knicks have Brunson and Grimes, hopefully as opposed to Fournier and Barrett and Randall and Robinson. And then off the bench, you know, there's, Rose and there's Fournier and Reddish and Quickly and Toppin and Hartenstein and is McBride going to see any time? What about Jericho Sims? So it kind of all sorts itself out. And even with all of those questions about is this player going to see time? How much is this player going to see? The Knicks found a way to ultimately make it work. Was the process clean? No, it got pretty messy at times. But the results are really what matters. And the Knicks brought in Josh Hart in a way that Cam Reddish, Evan Fournier, Derek Rose were not able to get the job done in the eyes of the team. So while I am totally of the mindset, yes, if there is another move that the Knicks can make that works for them, that they should do it, it's dependent on other teams feeling comfortable moving those players. Uh, And also just the Knicks, their need to do it right now. Because again, there is a whole deadline that's awaiting them. They can find a way to stumble through the first couple months and see what works and what doesn't. And these things do really sort themselves out. So I would love to see them make a move, but not for the sake of making a move. And I'm once again, I know the math it was fun for a moment to, to fantasize, but I'm still glad that Paul George, given his age and his injury history, was not the target or not rather was not the target, but was not ultimately the player that the Knicks acquired. Um, they still, yes, they recognize they need that six foot eight, six foot nine wing kind of switch a little bit back and forth. That's ideal. They're waiting on that. And how they go about getting that player, that will be an interesting scenario. But in terms of they know what they need, they can't necessarily get it now. Uh, we don't have to be like Veruca Salt and don't care how I want it now. Just Patience is a bit of a virtue. The Knicks did get better as a team. They added more talent than they took away. Obviously, Obi will now have a chance to do better in Indiana and have more breathing room. I would imagine that with Carlisle, he's not going to play a rookie in Jairus Walker a ridiculous amount of minutes. So Obi is in a perfect spot. The Knicks, I believe, did him a pretty strong solid in terms of getting him to a destination that works for him, both as a player and from the financial side. So... It's Yes, it's not a perfect team, but also it's not like the Knicks were going to make one move realistically. Again, I don't consider the Paul George thing that realistic given the extension and all that stuff, but there wasn't going to be something that probably thrust them into the position of contender. So if they're not at the point where they're a contender and they're desperately in need of filling these spots because they need the depth, um, it's a little bit easier. To, to stomach. We can be a little bit more patient about it. So 
I'd say this has been a, a good offseason so far. Obviously, still very curious about what the return is for the Obi Toppin deal. We saw today that the Duarte trade went through to the Kings. So uh, that was two second round picks. But the Pacers now have, I believe, at least three 2028 second round picks, if memory serves. So I would hope that the Knicks can take one of those whichever one it might be, hopefully the Suns' second round pick, and take it back. Because no one wants to, I shouldn't say no one, No, not many people are really going to care about it, but because the optics of, hey, two second round picks for the eighth overall pick, or the player taking with the eighth overall pick, that's a poor return on investment. And it is. But I also can't help but wonder if you are able to get a second round pick or even two second round picks that are right in that sweet spot of the early to mid 30s in the future. That's... That's solid. That's actually a quality return, but we have so much time between now and then. And again, it's the the value that Obi had diminished a while ago. So at this point it was move on. So that's my one big thing. It was a lot of small things that just kind of turned into one big thing. So without further ado, I got my man APJP here always uh, breaking it down. So Justin, if we have any questions, I'm ready. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. Juanon, appreciate the Super Chat contribution. Thoughts on trying to use RJ to get Detroit to remove the protections on that 24 pick. Bogey comes back unless Tibbs pushes for Burks slash filler. Shout out to the Substack. We discussed this there too. So I'm not in the Substack. Um, so I'm not sure what was exactly discussed. What I can say is to me, the 24 protections don't necessarily, amending them don't necessarily help the Knicks. That is a pick that I do expect to convey based on the fact that I believe it's like top 16, then top 14, then top 12, then top 10. So it's clearly a pick that the Knicks wanted in the future. And considering how they have their own pick and the Mavs pick, which is more and more likely to convey. I mean, we could have said this last year, but the team is the Mavs are better than they were last year. So I would imagine that conveys as well. So Knicks don't really need that pick to convey in 2024. Maybe they need it in 2025. Sure, but they also have their own pick, assuming they've kept it, and also the Milwaukee pick. And again, today, Ian Bagley talking about how there are sources that he trusts too much with general stuff and their belief of that Giannis Antetokounmpo could force a way out. We'll worry about that later. Helps when you have their pick in 2025. It's top protected that would go to new orleans but it helps i would imagine if you're a team that you're losing something okay well at least we don't lose our own pick most likely um so it's for the best and the wizards pick obviously i would imagine that's going to be two second round picks so the pistons pick conveying later probably good to not amend those protections and have it delay as for bogey you know his salary he does believe he has a partially guaranteed salary, not this upcoming season, but the one after that. And that's good, but I just, something doesn't sit right with me as good as Bogdanovich is at you know 34. Um, moving RJ Barrett for him, it's just not, you're betting on RJ's upside. And even though we've talked at length in terms of how RJ has performed, what his role might be here, how he can adapt and all that, Bogdanovich is a better fit based on what the Knicks are doing. Yes, but I would rather bet on Barrett as, at the very least, the type of player to net you a better player. Um, and at most, you know, like really good player on the Knicks. So I would not be a huge fan of Bogdanovich. Really, again, call me ageist. Anyone over the age of 30, I'm not super interested in your uh, ability is on this team based on how young the Knicks are. So, uh, Burke's angle is similar, you know, with DiVincenzo here now too. Doesn't really make a ton of uh, of sense just based on having Burks here and the minutes and all that stuff. Uh, I know it'd be instead of Bogdanovich, but love Alec. I think he'll flourish on the Pistons and maybe he's traded somewhere else at the deadline. I just don't know if that would be here. So thank you, Juanan. Appreciate that. Ben Kim Gurvey, what do you imagine the optimal distribution of salary is on contending team? How would you divvy up the percentages at two max, three, one max, and three at 15% with the rest divvied up? That's a great question, Ben. The, I mean, it's every team is constructed so differently. Like we just had the Nuggets 
where Jokic is on a max, Murray, Michael Porter Jr. So they did it. Um, we've seen Stephen Curry on a max deal. Uh, Clay Thompson, I believe, was still on that max contract. Thinking back. So, you know, you need at least two of those guys. The You don't have to spend an absurd amount of money to win a title, but it certainly helps if you can get there. Like the Clippers, they haven't done it, but um, I'm of the belief that if your team can just spend an ungodly amount and if they can do it wisely, then so be it. You know, like I, I'm a little concerned about the Suns because they obviously are very strong, but they feel a little top heavy. I do like the rotation players that they have acquired given the circumstances that they are in, but you know, they've got really four guys on max contracts and it's great that Ishbia wants to spend. That's fine. I just would prefer more depth. So it's kind of like, you know, I like what it seemed like the Celtics has done where they've got one max contract, one less than that. And then a bunch of really strong, high role players. But ideally, I mean, you know, if Jalen Brown hadn't agreed to extension, you would, you know, the first one, you would imagine that maybe he gets paid a max salary and then they would be at two. So from the Knicks perspective, just quickly, I would love to see in a few years, the Knicks paying two to three max caliber players um, and still having the depth to feel like they're in a good place. And the thing is, the Knicks can do that. It just will take a little bit of time and some finagling um, and matching salary and continuous soup and all that jazz. So I'd say there's so many different formulas for how it could go about. My preferred, if we're talking about a um, kind of a, a money conscious team that doesn't want to go above the second tax apron, I'd say two max players, one sub max player, um, a couple guys earning around $20 million, $15 million, and then fill out your bench with rookie scale guys and maybe one player on like a tax mid-level exception type. But in my head, I'm trying to think of the money. I guess if you did what 40, 40, let's just say 20, 20, talking 120 now. Yeah, you could get that. So yeah, I'll go with that. Thank you for the question, Ben. Dirty Dancer, is there a chance they let Fournier expire so they can stay under the tax and re-sign IQ and Hart with access to the MLE? So I'd imagine this is about next year since the MLE was used this year. Um, they could. You know, I mean, the best thing for Fournier in my mind is don't move him right now. Unless you can aggregate his salary with another salary to bring in a really good player, don't move him. Because here's the tricky part. If you swap out Fournier's salary for expiring salary, or if you let Fournier expire, his contract expire, he's already expiring on the bench. Uh, if you do that, then you have money roll off the books, but you have less to play with in the 2024 summer. And that is important because you just never know. You might need more salary with you. So it's about... If you were to trade Fournier, again, we talked about McDermott in the past. If you were to move Fournier for McDermott at the deadline, the Knicks are basically committing to two different timelines. The first is, hey, we're just going to let McDermott expire. He'll walk. We can find a way to maybe stay under the salary or stay under the luxury tax and go from there. Or it's, okay, we turned Fournier into McDermott, but now we want to use McDermott's salary for another trade down the line, but we don't want it to be McDermott. So we have to flip McDermott for a player on a long-term contract, but it can't be too long and there can't be player options because that could switch things up and make deals harder to move. If a player is playing really well, uh, typically he'll opt out um, unless it's Josh Hart, Jordan Clarkson type thing. Um, but in other situations, if they, if they, uh, opt in, it might not be the best sign, like Alonzo Ball type thing. So if you're the Knicks, you're basically looking at contracts like Fournier's that are similar in structure. A lot of money in terms of like 18, 19 million in that range, um, but also team control and it's not guaranteed. And there aren't a ton of deals that are like that. Bruce Brown's contract is like that. It's a team option, but the Pacers just signed him. So 
they can't move him and they wouldn't move him most likely at the deadline unless things really go downhill and he's not necessarily worth the money. But then he might be of value to other teams looking to get out of it. So there's that, which I'd rule out. There's Jonathan Isaac, who's on some sort of non-guaranteed contract due to injury. I'm sure there are Knicks fans who would jump at the idea of Jonathan Isaac because, hey, you can get him to play back up four minutes. There's just no real time. That's the thing. There's not significant time for him to be playing. The benefit, of course, well, if he's hurt, then it shouldn't necessarily matter. But uh, I also think there are potential things off the court in terms of Jonathan Isaac that maybe it's best suited. He's in Florida. and you look at kind of the other players that are out there and there just aren't a ton that are like that contract. And so I'm of the position now where don't trade Fournier for expiring salary and don't necessarily let him expire unless you can find a way to turn him into something better. Like if the Knicks had guaranteed Derek Rose's money and then they had that salary to use if they needed it, they just didn't need it. So the more salary they can have, the better, which is why we should be encouraging the Knicks to go into the tax next year. And if they're already in the tax and they want to keep making moves and getting better as they have been or been trying to every single year, that's where Fournier's salary comes into play or it's not expiring. So, um, yes, theoretically, there's probably a path there, but it's still tricky with other players needing money, too. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. Darren Hood. Hey, Jeremy, I have a question. Now that Dante DiVincenzo is signed, what else do you see the Knicks doing? I don't see the Knicks doing anything right now unless another team with talent that's better than what the Knicks have decides to say, yeah, we're going to open up shop. And there really just aren't that many teams that are like that on the surface. You know, I would imagine a lot of the league is waiting on Dame to have that whole thing figured out. And then there's Harden. Um, I mean, you know, like there's the whole philosophy of if the Sixers get a poor return on James Harden, what does that mean for Embiid? Bobby Marks was saying that, you know, no matter what, if the if the Sixers get a poor return for uh, Harden, then Embiid's going to have to look at this like kind of a, a gap year. And I'm just thinking like a gap year. The MVP is going to be cool with taking a gap year when he's already missed multiple seasons of his career and knows that time isn't necessarily his best friend. That guy, that's the one who's taking a gap year. Okay, good luck with that. So the Knicks are kind of in wait and see mode because if Joel Embiid said, all right, this ain't it. I don't want this. I can't waste a year of my prime on a team that's just not going to give me contention status. Then that's where the thought process of the Knicks coming into play and be like, well, things changed and we were ready. And so, you know, like if there's a player like OG Ananobi and the Knicks have traded, if, if he's even on the, the block and the Knicks were able to get something for him and they hamstring themselves in some capacity. And then someone like Embiid hits the trade block and the Knicks are like, well, we, uh, we could have done it, but because we went for another talent, it's just it'd be bad. It'd be pretty rough. And now granted, it doesn't mean that the Sixers have to say, we'll trade Joel Embiid or like, you know, they could figure it out on their own. They don't have to do anything necessarily. They could keep Harden and run it back for a whole year or six months, whatever they choose to do. But in terms of the next move, it's probably wait for the larger dominoes to fall, sort it out from there. Generally speaking, I don't know what the hell the Raptors are doing. I still don't understand it. Uh, they want to win, but they're not good enough to win. They just lost Van Vliet 
and got Schroeder to back him up. And they're keeping Pirtle because it's sunk cost because they're already giving up their first round pick if it's outside of the top six, I believe. So uh, they're just, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what's going on with them. But if they decide to say, for whatever reason, this isn't it, we can't. All right, we got to pull the plug. We've lost too many players just walking without us capitalizing on their value. Then I would imagine the Knicks start calling. So until then, I would imagine this is it. And the Knicks will just be patient. Uh, Luka Gajov, uh, apart, apologies, uh, Gajovic Protish. Sup, Jeremy, do you think there's a better power forward the Knicks can pursue in free agency than what we have now? Isaiah Roby, Michael Green doesn't sound too bad. It's just, where's the time coming from for these guys? Like, what's the appeal for Jamichael Green? Okay, I have been signed to a roster and I don't have any significant opportunities to play. I might be able to get like 10 to 12 minutes, maybe 14. But, you know, is that is that enough really for him? I know he's not... And he was out of work right now, but is that the type of role that he wants to be? And it's not that he can't come off the bench. He's certainly done it before. But at what point do, are we talking about prioritizing Jermichael Green over some of the other players? Um, I have to go back to what Benji was saying, where it's kind of like, what backup for is such a concern for the Knicks that they can't continue on with the roster that they have? And I think that, you know, Obviously, you want insurance at the positions you have, and the Knicks have a glut in one position, and they are certainly less, there's less of a glut at, at the four. But, you know, it's like we have also seen this team just roll deep at the four for such a long time that it's almost like, wait, you mean you don't have to have a bunch of power forwards? You don't, you don't have to have a consistent backup for three whole years. It doesn't have to be a four backing up a four, but there could be some more offensive and defensive versatility in there. So there's certainly more to it. It'd be nice if the Knicks did have a little bit more size at that spot. But again, I can't help but feel like go into training camp. Things will shake out if Roby isn't it. And again, it's really like 10 minutes probably is getting maybe 14 minutes. Okay, you can non-guarantee his contract or you can guarantee it and use him with any other salary that maybe you might need to do that. Um, But it doesn't it's just not a need. It's more of a want. And it's kind of like there will come a point in which case there might be a need. Right. If Julius Randle were to be injured, then certainly that leaves the Knicks very. um, There's like a dearth of fours there. And I get that which is a problem. The hope is that he stays healthy. That's something that Julius was able to do for such a long time before Bam Adebayo hurt him. So if you are able to get enough production there, it's great, but it's not like the Knicks are at a position where they need to address it. And there it's easier to mitigate that than say if Emmanuel quickly were to be moved off the team and then Jalen Brunson were to go down. Like that is where there's a larger problem. So you know, again, I just don't really, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know that one of my traits is I don't really care that much about end of the bench guys. And like Jermichael Green to me would be, he wouldn't be end of the bench, but he's what? 10th man at best. I'd rather just focus on the players in house and see an upgrade at the deadline if possible. Blood of a Panda. Question for Jeremy. If Katz and Mac had played 1v1, who would you put your money on? Um, I That's a good question. I'd have to go with Fred. And the reason I'd go with Fred is he's around so many basketball players that I guarantee at any point can be like, hey, just like one-on-one. Like what, what's a go-to move that I should have? And I'm sure that someone would be able to, or like when he, if he's ever watching practice warm-ups like i'm sure he can pick up enough of it and it's just uh that's just kind of the way it goes you know i mean john's also got a few years on fred so uh, you know i would imagine that fred is still like like he's entering the twilight of his prime getting close to 
more like uh, ring chasing, whereas John is much more of the Taj Gibson. It's like, I will fill in where I need to be and I am where I am. And I can also give some good insight. But uh, there was a time in my prime where I could have really done that. And uh, that was then. This is now. So I'm going to go with Fred on this one. I like it. The hard hitting questions. Uh, Alex, thank you for the super chat contribution. Uh, surprised that Junon didn't point out that our prophetic RR predicted uh, <laughs> the Knicks getting Zion. How would that work financially? Randall main piece going out. Yeah, it's um, this was Mark Berman tweeted something a few hours ago about how his belief is that Zion's coming to the Knicks. You know, I mean, hey, maybe the Knicks will still draft Mikhail Bridges. There's still time. But with that said, I. We talked about it. Um, John and I spoke about it for one of the podcasts, the most recent episode of Cap or No Cap, where it's tough. If you have Randall going out, like the math gets closer, but then it needs to be a little bit more even, and there's not a whole lot of salary filler. So you could probably get someone like quickly going, but you wouldn't necessarily be sending quickly to New Orleans because the Pelicans have their own financial issues. So are you finding a third team? looping them in um there are ways to do it for sure it can happen it's just i would imagine it needs a third team just because of the pelicans and their financial constraints and uh the money in terms of quickly getting you there because if you look at it now i mean the salary isn't there's not like a lot of cheaper salaries to move you know the knicks in the past were very fortunate because they always kind of had that spare four to eight million dollar salary lying around oh we want derrick rose we got dennis Smith jr salary uh we want cam reddish we've got kevin knox's salary we want josh hart we've got cam reddish's salary obi toppin he's moved out so there really aren't a ton of players earning between I mean, actually, I don't think there's anyone earning between, say, five and eight million dollars of memory serves uh, as I look that up. So it's definitely something that should be considered. But in terms of the relation to Zion, yeah, there are ways to make it work. It's just Zion for Randall and probably IQ just for the math. Um, and looking at this, yes, Emmanuel quickly is making four point one million dollars. And then the next highest salary is nine point two million dollars. That's Isaiah Hartenstein. So uh, that should be something to kind of note. I'll put that in the back of my mind for trade season. The deadline. We got some time. Thank you, Alex. Ryan Sarter. Thank you for the Super Chat contribution. I have such a hard time understanding the luxury tax. Does James Dolan not want to pay or is, they a, or is there a non-monetary disadvantage to being in the tax? So being in the tax often starts a clock. Um, we'll see what the new CBA says. Again, I haven't had as much time to go through it as I would like with all the free agency hoopla. And then 4th of July weekend, just needing to... Well, actually, we were working during that for most of it. So the rest of it kind of decompressing. But the way that the tax had worked before was if you go over it, um, you're basically hit with kind of like a, a marginal tax bracket. So let's say I'm just spitballing here, right? Like you're $8 million over the tax. You'd pay a certain amount from zero to 5 million. And then you'd pay a certain amount from five to 8 million, which is the $3 million. Now I believe it's going to be just, it's not marginal. It's kind of just, or rather it's, it's not just one tax bracket. It's, it's portioned out its percentages, but I'll look more into that. The point being here is the Knicks feel that they don't have to build this team by going to the luxury tax. I don't know if that is James Dolan saying, I don't want to spend the money or the Knicks self-imposing that saying we don't need to. Um, but either way, I would imagine that the sell to ownership would be, we need moving forward to have investment in the tax with this team. Again, just my guess. I would imagine that James Dolan is not hesitant towards paying it. If the Knicks are really in true contention status, I would gather that if Leon Rose said to James Dolan, hey, if we guarantee Derrick Rose's contract, we can flip him for someone and that can get us a real talent that James Dolan would have said, sure. That's just my guess. Uh, 
he's paid tax in the past. Dolan's always been very passionate about this team and wanting it to succeed. He has spent a lot of money in-house in terms of the Knicks beefing up their analytics team and creating a great organization from top to bottom. And it takes time. And it's not all going to be sunshines and rainbows, but they've certainly made strides there. So again, I would gather that the luxury tax, when the time comes, is not going to be an issue. Um, but it's the sort of thing where teams like to not have to cross it. They can be frugal, they can be cheap, or they can just be economical. It's really however you see it. Uh, some are certainly different than others. Like the Hawks, I would say they're not exactly economical because they made some pretty poor decisions and now they've had to make changes. Speaking of the Hawks, uh, quick aside, DeJounte Murray agreeing to a contract extension surprises the hell out of me. And the reason it does is because Clutch almost always tries to push it to free agency because they can leverage their contracts that way. They just don't often accept deals. They don't often accept extensions. And my first thought, and Chris had the same thought, so I feel like we're in good company here, was that Clutch is trying to get a ton of money on the books because of reasons that Chris has stated in the past. You would want to have more money there. It's easier to kind of package your contract. If you know that there's more money heading your way, um, that's my little conspiracy theory. With that said, with the luxury tax, yes, it's really more just right now, don't necessarily need it. Um, we should be in favor of all these teams spending in the luxury because it's not our money. And it'd be fun to see these players get paid more so maybe what they deserve, but uh, decisions and opportunity costs and all that. So just know that they have to be below it. Hopefully they won't be below it next year. Next off season, I should say. Thank you, Ryan. Kevin Danishevsky. Hey, Kevin. Uh, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. Still befuddled as to how a team with a rotation that went on a run with a 53-win pace and took a final team to six games is not one step from contention. Again, they don't have a top 10 player. Now, if you want to say that that is a step from contention, I hear you, but that's also a pretty significant step. And if there isn't a player that's on the market that they can get who is a top 10 player who also fits with what they're doing, a.k.a. not Damian Lillard, then that's tough. They need more than that. Um, again, for the uh, thousandth time, Kevin and I, we're, we're not going to see eye to eye in terms of just how close this team is to contention. My hope is that by the time the Knicks would acquire a superstar, that they've lined up all their other ducks in a row so that, boom, they're ready. They have star talent. They have avenues to make, to make improvements if they need. They have young talent. Um, and hopefully economical, but at least exit strategies where they can make moves to, to do what they need to do. So they, they played well, Kevin, they're a really good team. I'm not saying they aren't, but there are teams in the division that also have higher top end talent. I'm very curious as to what it is, but here's the benefit. I look around. I don't see the bucks as having gotten much better. They they're running it back, which they needed to, they could have been really in trouble if Brooke Lopez decided not to come back, but they ran it back. That's fine. Um, the Celtics, I do believe they got better, but I think what's going to hurt them is they seem to have lost a level of uh, physicality. Very curious about how that plays out in the playoffs. Um, you know, they'll do a lot of spot up shooting. KP's a great threat. Uh, very curious though, as to how it will play out in the Jalen Brown situation. Is he going to extend? Is he not? If he's not, are they moving him? Let's see. The, um, the Sixers, they've done nothing. They might get worse. The Cavaliers, they've added some depth, but no one that really would you know, turn the tables in terms of this year compared to last year. And the Knicks, who, as I mentioned, they did get better. They added talent that fits for them. As Benji has talked about, if they've used Obi as more of a spacing wing anyway and not as a four... They've basically taken that and gotten a player who does exactly that, but at a far better level, um, shorter, but can sometimes play up as well, which is good. So, and then the teams behind, you know, like who knows what the Heat are going to do. Um, the Hawks, I would imagine. I guess they got, do they get better? I don't know. I think they'll be fine. 
Collins was moved for money issues. It depends how much you believe in Johnson. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to see a good season. But yeah, the, the Knicks got better. Other teams didn't necessarily. Offseason's still not over yet. So I believe the Knicks will continue to make strides, Kevin. It's just until they have that elite player and maybe one other guy, because as we've talked about, all these teams, what they need to win a title. I mean, there are a lot of things, but one thing especially is they need a six eight, six nine guy who is a really strong defender. They don't have that. So that's why I don't see them as being just one step and only one step. Uh, there are a couple little pieces they need, but hopefully they can fill that gap. And then they get the superstar. And then there they are. So uh, we'll just agree to disagree once again, Kevin, but I appreciate it. Blood of the Panta. Question for Jeremy. What did you first think when you opened up the new CBA doc? Uh, I, I haven't. I, again, like between the deadline or between when it came out and now, I've either been busy with KFS or just needing to clear my head with everything. So I have not looked at it. Um, what I can tell you is it will be agonizing to read because of the legalese. What's also great is hopefully Larry Kuhn with CBA FAQ. He does a fantastic job of breaking things down from legalese. Um, he'll have something I would imagine coming out, which I recommend if anyone's interested, checking that out because it, it just in layman's terms, it's a lot easier to digest. So uh, it's a great question though. And one that I will have to answer when I actually click on the document and say, okay, let's get started and read all 676 pages. If memory serves, Jonathan Sander looking at an OG and an OB, uh, the trade that makes the most sense from Toronto's perspective is Grimes and Fournier plus picks. If they only use one unprotected pick, what are your thoughts? So this goes back a little bit to hamstringing themselves where, you know, if they went after Ananobi, but then Embiid became available uh, the same offseason, how does that impact things? Here's what I want to say in terms of OG. And I actually kind of prepared this and I was going to lead off with it, but I thought, no, I don't need to because I guarantee that someone's going to ask about OG. So I'm glad that you did, Jonathan. Thank you. I understand why Fournier and Grimes and Picks might be ideal for Ananobi. Um, I do want to preface this as saying Ananobi, it's a lot. Like that's that's a lot for Ananobi. Um, we're talking about one year of team control for a player who has missed decent chunk of time in the last few years, who is not a creator but really wants to create on offense, and whose defense is fantastic. And yes, it's Masai Ujiri, but you don't have to get OG Ananobi. He's a very important ad based on how the Knicks are building it. And I'll explain why, but it, it's the sort of thing where at a certain point, you know, you can afford to be patient. You don't want to pay top dollar for a very good player. Um, and I also don't see the Knicks. I know John mentioned this uh, with Andrew on the most recent podcast. I see a little differently. I don't see it as the Knicks getting OG and then flipping OG for an Embiid type. I see it as Knicks getting OG and he's not going to headline any star trade. He's not going to be your salary filler. He's unlikely to agree to an extension. He could, but it's, it seems unlikely. Um, I'd like to be wrong on that. If you were here and extending, that'd be great. But even with the timeline, Probably doesn't work where if he does hit unrestricted free agency, then you can't. And Embiid hits the, the block that summer, for example. Um, you wouldn't be able to trade one for the other. It'd be too complicated. Just in terms of this, I the Fournier part, obviously fine. But then there's the fit, right? Like, I still don't love the fit of OG, RJ, and Randall. Um, it's, a, it's very clunky. A lot of guys who operate like fours running the offense um, you're basically pigeonholing Ananobi into that fourth role, which he's already kind of in right now. You know, like there's uh, the article that came out recently. I think it was Michael Grange who wrote it with Raptors he's talking about Siakam and Siakam not getting an extension offer when he had a great season, how that might roll into things. And I'm thinking, well, how does OJ Ananobi feel about staying with the Raptors when he 
wants on-ball reps, and he knows he can't be prioritized. And he's with Barnes and Siakam and Pirtle, which is a terrible grouping of spacing. Um, so he's confined to a role where he's probably the fourth option there on offense. So what can you do? Um, I still don't believe that it's the best. Like, like, yes, I'm sure that that's something that Toronto would want. But if I'm the Knicks, it's just not what I'm interested in. And I just want to explain why um, OG is a great fit based on what the Knicks have um, and what, what they like. So, for example, the Knicks love corner threes. They were fourth in frequency this past uh, season. The year before that, they were 15th in frequency. And the year before that, they were seventh. Take a wild guess which two years the Knicks made the playoffs and which one they didn't. Uh, so it, it stands to reason they want to continue finding players who can take those shots, but also make those shots. For example, Grimes. Absolutely. One of the best corner three shooters in the NBA last year. DiVincenzo, 100%. That's but DJ Zulo has pointed out how good of a three-point shooter, uh, especially from the corner, that he is. Um, Hart, he was in the 100th percentile in quarter threes after the Knicks acquired him. That's pretty good. Uh, and obviously, Ananobi is a strong three-point shooter from the corner. Knicks are also prioritizing catch and shoot threes. NBA University talked about this. 248 players this past season took at least 100 catch and shoot threes. Of those 248, Five Knicks ranked in the top 100. Uh, it was Brunson, second overall. DiVincenzo, 29th overall. Hart, 56th overall. Grimes, 72nd. And IQ, 82nd. Uh, Ananobi, he was 60th. So catch and shoot threes are very important, which makes sense because of most of those shots in the corner. They're not going to be pull-ups. They're going to be spot-up shots. Knicks also, as I've talked about, have they love high offensive floor EPM guys. Um, with a, an elite ceiling on the defensive end. So IQ, 78th percentile on offense, 93rd on defense. Hart, 76th on offense, 92nd on defense. Grimes, 77th, 78th. DiVincenzo last season, 65th, 84th. Ananobi, 71st, 99th. Uh, and all these players are 28 years old or younger. That's important. Ananobi is turning 26 this month. So... Yes, I can understand. Well, that's clearly what the Knicks like. The Knicks like OG, or at least it stands to reason that they would. So they'd move someone out. And I still can't get past the thought process of look at all of the players the Knicks have brought in. Look at what they like. Look at how they focus on those things. If you bring someone in, you want them to do those types of things as well. But is there a player who doesn't do that? Is there a player who is different than that? And unfortunately, I don't mean to sound like a hater. It just goes right back to him. It goes back to RJ Barrett fitting in to what their scheme is, where all the things I just mentioned, you know, RJ doesn't take a lot of corner threes and he doesn't make a lot of them either. Um, he was 219th in catch and shoot three point percentage out of uh, the 248. His EPM was off on offense was 64 and defense 29, um, but he just turned 23. And that is certainly something you look towards and potential. So I understand the reason I say all this, because I understand the package that Jonathan is laying out in terms of Fournier and Grimes and any sort of pick comp. Again, I think it's a little too rich, but if you're the Knicks, you don't necessarily want to take away from what you've got. You want to add to it. And Fournier's salary can be the vehicle for it, but also so is RJ's. And you then don't have to like, yes, you'd move Grimes out and Ananobi in the rotation would be the same. You move RJ out, you move Ananobi, and the rotation would be the same. But there's something about it where the fit of those three guys together, if it's not Grimes, and Grimes, by the way, who was the glue that made that rotation, that starting lineup work so well. Um, he's just a necessary piece. So I get that Toronto may want that. Um, totally understand it. The issue, of course, is with RJ. Do the Knicks value OG is better than RJ? Do the Raptors value RJ better than OG? Um, I, I'm, I honestly have no clue how to parse those things out, but that's where I think it makes more sense from the Knicks perspective. Of course, it has to make sense from the Raptors perspective. Um, and why wouldn't they want someone like Grimes? But then again, they just got Grady Dick and they seem to be signing Gary Trent Jr. to an extension soon. Uh, so that to me is the prevailing thought process of maybe they don't 
necessarily want Grimes, but then maybe they don't necessarily want RJ as their third team, all sorts of things. But from the Knicks perspective, OG certainly fits the bill. Um, and one of the players that I mentioned is not nearly in his alignment. That's why I think the Knicks would be trying to move that player instead. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good and that's why oakley is the perfect partner for us not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our oakley's and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today also did you know that oakley even offers prism lens technology now i know what you're thinking gmac what the hell is that well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Alan Alford. Thank you for the super chat, Alan. Champions build their core through draft and development, including ours, wasting picks, getting rid of players Tibbs don't want, and devalue. Okay, let's break this down for a second. So yes, champions do build their cores through the draft. I would agree. Um, doesn't always happen, though. Right? Like, the Raptors. Uh, the LeBron James teams. But for the most part, you have homegrown stars. The thought that I have with this though yes the draft's important but look around the nba look at all the 30 teams and ask yourself what team has dominated free agency better than the knicks have since 2019 and the reason i say that is because yeah there have been a lot of misses obviously but when you're able to use your cap space to sign a two-time All-NBA player, Jalen Brunson, who should have been an All-Star. If you're able to sign two near All-Stars or better using your cap space, you're kind of flipping the game on its head. Which is to say, yes, the draft is super important and the Knicks need to keep prioritizing it. And it's, a, it's frustrating that they haven't been able to do that the last couple of years. But it's also not like they haven't gotten talent from drafts either. Emmanuel quickly is going to get paid a lot of money. Deservingly so. Deservedly so. Grimes. Hell, even RJ. You've got a 20-point scorer there that the Knicks drafted and added to this team. I get the frustration with a lot of the other talent. But I also was thinking about this today, too, where it was obviously the Knicks did not get a great return on investment for the eighth overall pick that became Obi Toppin, and that's frustrating. But I also was thinking about how many of the teams in that draft actually benefited from the players that they got. So let's run through the first round quickly. Anthony Edwards, obviously great call by the Timberwolves, elite player. James Wiseman, disastrous, awful pick. Right. And even still, I think they got four second round picks out of it. Um, terrible return on investment. LaMelo Ball just signed a max contract. He's an all star. Obviously, a worthwhile pick. The concern, of course, is his health. Um, tricky, but that's the case. I wouldn't say Patrick Williams has been worth the fourth overall pick. Isaac Okoro was very much a shell of himself in the series that the Knicks played against the Cavs. Okongwu is nice. I like Onyeka Okongwu. Um, curious as to what his role will be moving forward. Clint Capella, they've got some money. They need to think about that sort of thing. So that'll be curious, but that was a good selection. Killian Hayes was a terrible pick by the Pistons. 
Obviously, we know about Obi Toppin. Denny Avdia, very strong defender. The, the offense has to click. The shot's not really falling there, but that was a that's a solid pick. You want to get a rotation quality player in that range. Jalen Smith, terrible pick. Uh, misused. Went to the Pacers. Now, pretty much an afterthought when you consider Obi and Walker are going to be there. Devin Vassell, certainly good wing. Uh, was injured, tough to know entirely, but the shot's great. So, and, and the defense is strong too. So, not bad. Tyrese Halliburton, obviously an all-star. And then we get into this range that's just kind of, for lack of a better word, crap, right? Like Keira Lewis Jr., hurt. Aaron Neesmith, largely irrelevant. Cole Anthony, backup point guard. Isaiah Stewart, um, not doing a whole lot. Uh, Alexi Pokashevsky, fine player, but uh, like not a whole lot to get from there. Josh Green, good rotation piece for the Mavs. Maybe there's another gear there. But he's at least somewhat of a higher floor player. It's a good selection at 18. Sadiq Bey, defense really not strong at all. There's a reason that he changed teams. I mean, the Pistons, yes, were tanking, but even still, uh, I thought... Five second picks or so is a little rich. I believe that's what he went for. Precious Chua, fine player, 20, I guess. Tyrese Maxey, obviously very good. Zeke Naji out of the rotation. Come playoff time, Leandro Baltomero, not even in the NBA anymore. RJ Hampton, unlikely to be in the NBA anymore. Emmanuel Quickly, fantastic. Peyton Pritchard, uh, out of the rotation for the Celtics, might have a chance now. Utoka Ezebuke, out of the NBA. Jaden McDaniels, fantastic. Um, Malachi Flynn, really no role whatsoever. And Desmond Bain just signed a max contract. All this to say, there are a lot of misses. There are often going to be a lot of misses. The Knicks missed. Can Obi Toppin be a better player? Yeah, 100%. I believe he will be a much better player than what he's shown here. The opportunity for him to showcase that in New York was never going to happen as long as Julius Randle's here. So... You know, development is important, but it's not like there hasn't been development in other areas. And, you know, like there's this mindset often where it's like this team ruined this player's development, right? Like they ruined it. And I just keep thinking, well, maybe. But then again, also consider the fact that there are other players who are developing. So at what point do we also consider? Is it more the player or is it more the team? Um, and your mileage may vary. It's not even sitting here saying, oh, well, it's Obi Toppin who's the reason why he's not the best version of himself. And the team did nothing. The team didn't prioritize him on the court, but it's because there was someone who was a higher priority that was there. So, you know, like if I were to tell you that the Knicks drafted quickly eighth overall and Toppin 25th, would we be focusing that much on it? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it would be that much of a concern, but here we are. We're talking about it. I get it. But at the same time, it's, it's, you know, like the whole Cam Reddish thing. I, I don't know what the real Cam Reddish is. I know he's on his fourth team. I would, I want him to succeed. I just don't know who the real Cam Reddish is. Um, sometimes, sometimes it comes down to the player. Sometimes it comes down to the team. I don't know, but I look at the Knicks and I see that they do have some young talent that's really progressed. And it's hard not to look at that. It's like, well, there are examples of them doing that. So maybe it's not just the team hates this player or the team doesn't know how to develop. Just didn't work out. The right situation is often the crux of it. It just wasn't the right situation for Obi. <laughs> Alan Alford. Uh, Thank you for the super chat and the comment of Bulbul. So I've seen, you know, this, uh, the idea of Bulbul as an option and I don't, I don't quite get it. I think that look if the magic really, the magic are in the, we want talent stage. If Bulbul were that good, they probably would have found a home with for him without just releasing him or at least keeping him. They could have kept him. He, uh, is more of an in theory guy than anything. Like he, he's like a three, four with the body of a five, but he doesn't shoot that much from the perimeter. And last season he shot pretty terribly. And I just feel like that's the minimum you need to have to be 
a four on this roster. Like Roby was not a great shooter last year, but the year before that, I think he shot 44% on decent volume. So it has to be the right box. If you're not a good shooter and you have that size then you just, you probably don't have a role here. Not even probably you don't have a role here as a four, if that's the case. So while I understand the mystique with bull bull, there's probably another team that's better off trying him than the Knicks. Cause role wise, I don't see it when he does not space the floor like at all, other than in theory. In reality, he just doesn't do that. But thank you, Alan. Kevin, again, what are your thoughts on the silliest trade saga in the NBA, Damian Lillard? I would say, I think Menso was talking about this today. Like, I'm all for player empowerment. Damian Lillard had an opportunity to pick exactly where he wanted to go a couple of years ago, and he signed the extension. And now, I mean, it is kind of funny in the sense of like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, almost. For years, we were talking about just run from the grind. Or, you know, like, you don't have to run from the grind. Like, just, just accept a trade. Get out of there. It's not the right situation. He said, I'm good. I don't want to leave. I like, All right, fine. But you really should look for a trade. And now he's looking for a trade and he wants to leave, but he only wants to go to one place and people are upset about him about that. And I have no issue with him wanting to go to Miami, but I do have an issue with the idea that he's so disgruntled that he doesn't want to play for anyone else. And Miami um, is bestowed him. Like it's their God given right to get Damian Lillard, especially if they have worse packages than other teams. And they do have worse packages than other teams and they still might get him as a result, which is the frustrating part. But even still, it's like if Dame wanted to make a decision, uh, he should have done it. Timing is everything in life and it sucks, but he had a moment to do it. And if he really wanted to, he could have done exactly what Bradley Beal did. He could have gotten a no trade clause and he didn't. And I'm sure that it was like, you know, the weight of the words, my word is my bond type thing held fast. And he is someone who's a very loyal person and believe that respect to a street and all that. But now it just, it feels like it's getting, I want to say ugly, but like he has every right to say, I want to go to Miami and only Miami, but the Blazers have every right to say, we don't care. Uh, this is a partnership. We don't owe you. We get, we're giving, we're paying you. That is that we are honoring the contract. Um, and we intend for you to honor the contract wherever you go next. And the team acquiring you intends for you to do that. So I, it's not so much fault. It's more just hindsight. If you really wanted to get out, if you really thought that, you had the opportunity to go elsewhere. You should have gone elsewhere. I don't blame him for feeling like he could have built a contender uh, or could have been a part of a contender in Portland. But from the outside view, it seemed like that team peaked pretty hard after the Western conference finals appearance. Now he just has to deal with the consequences of uh, the Blazers can move him wherever they want. And it still might wind up being Miami, but it shouldn't be, Oh, well the whole league is watching. Screw that. No one's going to go to Portland Otherwise, no one's going to say, hey, look at how you were treated. No one looks at the Pelicans that way. So the Blazers should do what's in their best interests. Dame did what was in his best interest by signing that extension. And he gave up a right, which was the right to choose whatever team he wanted. Because he could have, theoretically speaking, hit the market. And I'm sure a team like the Heat would have said, yeah, well, like we've done more maneuvering for less. I guess not for less, because... LeBron James and Chris Bosch coming is definitely more, but you know, like they were able to plan ahead. I'm sure they would have done whatever they needed to do in order to get the job done. They didn't because Dame didn't want to leave. And now Dame has to reckon with that. So I appreciate you asking Kevin because he's at the mercy of the team and that's how it should be. Oakster question for Jeremy. Great job breaking down Zach Levine's fit with the Knicks as currently constructed. Thank you, Oakster. If we somehow end up with Levine, what do we have left to add in the future? RJ and IQ go in a trade. Okay. Um, it seems that the Knicks have backed off of Levine, which is fine. It also seems like the Bulls have decided to go even more into being mid, which good luck with that. Um, 
bold, I guess. I, again, I would not move RJ and IQ in this trade, but Oakster, we're going off of what you're saying. So, I mean, you're limited, right? So if you were to do that, then you basically have, let's say it's RJ, IQ, and Fournier. And probably less on the pick compensation because the Knicks are moving RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. So you're rolling out a starting five of Brunson, Grimes, Levine, Randall, and Robinson. And then the bench, you'd have, I don't know, because I don't think Deuce can necessarily be completely ready for that role, but let's just say Deuce. Uh, He's extension eligible, but he's probably not going to make a ton. So let's give him $6 million for the 2024-25 season. Okay. Uh, You got DiVincenzo. You have Hart, who's who's opted in and who's going to extend. You don't have anyone at the four. And you have Hartenstein at the five. Hartenstein is not extension eligible because of early bird rights. He can be paid this summer. But that being said, if you go to this summer, right, let's say it's, you know, okay, what are you doing if you're the Knicks? Well, you've got basically seven contracts that you can easily trade for a superstar and not a whole lot of depth spots. So you're really hamstringing yourself that way. You're basically saying the only way that we can, like we gave up a significant portion of our depth and financial avenues to get Levine, who's not worth that. And then on top of that, you have to get that other player, if that's where you want to go, because naturally that team that I just laid out, uh, it's not good enough to win a title. So how do you get from that point to the next one and cobbling enough salary? Like, okay, let's say you magically did Randall and Robinson for Embiid, but now you don't have a four and you don't even have a backup four. Um, it's just, it leaves you so depleted. And the, the thing that the Knicks have done such a good job of is we're going to be a deep team. We're not going to have the most top end talent, but every year we're going to keep adding and adding and adding. And we're going to try to raise our ceiling with say Jalen Brunson and keeping Julius Randall, but we're raising our floor constantly with these types of moves. So it would just leave the Knicks very thin, which especially if teams are susceptible to injury or anything, um, it's too rich for my blood. So that's why I think Emmanuel quickly is vital to staying while you need to have him here because the avenues for continuous soup that he gives you are just so important. And if you were to do this type of RJ and IQ and Fournier and get Levine, it just, um, it leaves the Knicks thinner as they try to get that top end talent, which it just, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit right with me. Ghost Dog LT, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. There was some Rokas talk recently. Any update on his trade value or possibly playing by 2024? Again, I still stand by. Extend Emmanuel quickly. If you can find a star package with Giannis or Embiid or someone else who's of that caliber. And the money involves quickly and involves, say, Randall or Mitch or whatever it might be to get the job done. You're going to need a backup point guard. And it could be Deuce, but we just haven't seen him get to that point quite yet. You got Rokas playing in a, a backup role, doing well in that role, shooting well, good pull up, pick and roll, all that stuff. Like have him come over for cheap. You can sign him to uh, probably what would be a portion of the tax mid-level exception. That's what I would do. Um, trade value wise. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much trade value there is because he he's overseas, you know, like the rights to him are important, but it's not quite like the draft rights to say uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, so I, I would rather not move him because I just don't think that there, he holds a ton of value, especially as things stand right now. Um, I think it's also not to say this, you go stock LT obviously, but I think there's probably this idea of because of like the way that fans may view Europeans that it might seem like a Luca Vildoza type thing or it's like, Oh, well he's come on. We've, we've seen this before and they're just completely different players of different talent levels and ages. Um, but it's, it's sort of just, I don't know. I've seen this general pessimism of like, well, he's not coming over and he's not a good player. No, he is a good player. And I expect him 
to come over at a certain point. The Knicks wouldn't necessarily have taken him in the 30s if they be- believe that he was never going to come over. It's just about the timing. And he wants to come over and have a role. And you can't quite do that if Brunson and IQ are here. Now, if one of those players, i.e. IQ, is not there, then there's a role for him suddenly. But in terms of the update, I would imagine... That's kind of the, the timeline I've been operating under and will continue to operate under until it doesn't happen in a year. Yeah, we'll say a year from now. But thank you, Ghost Dog LT. All right. It seems like that is it. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me tonight. This was a lot of fun as always. In terms of uh, content coming up, we've definitely got some summer league stuff. I know Chris and Sean will be rocking the mic, doing all that. John, I would imagine, will do some of the content, not on this coming Sunday, because there's a far more pressing event for uh, for the KFS group. But uh, I don't know when I'll be back on here. So until then, hope everyone does well, enjoys some of their summer. We'll do something soon, I'm sure. But again, thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already to like, share this video. Uh, If you're listening to this, would love a five-star rating and review as always. Thank you to APJP for the stellar work. Appreciate his help. Could not have done it alone. Um, So yeah, thanks all. Take it easy. We'll talk soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.